Amazing love. Uh, how can it be? Man alive. That's what we get together to ponder, consider, to think about, and hopefully experience every week, including today. Uh, God's amazing love. Now, one of my least favorite experiences occurred in high school. And I think I was in 11th grade. And it was gym class. Now, I mean, no offense to those who love wrestling. But we were required in class to wrestle. It's just not a sport I've ever been drawn to. And I remember we did calisthenics, and then we had to loosen up, and we wanted to be uh, relaxed and ready to go, so we had a sweat. Now, if you know wrestling as a sport, the way you start is one guy gets down on his hands and knees, and the other guy, I didn't know this kid. I didn't know him. Uh, I, 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 it, we're both sweating, and I had to get on the ground, and then he went on his knees, and I still remember I had to put my arm around him, and I still remember gym teacher going, no, you got to put your arm a little around him further, and then you put your other hand on him, and then we start, and for three minutes you wrestle. I didn't want to be that close to this young man. There's two of us sweating, and, and I come away with several impressions. One is, this is hard work. We went for three minutes, and I was exhausted. He's about my size. I was not a heavyweight back then. And we were wrestling, and it was an unpleasant experience, which I didn't enjoy at all. And as far as I can tell you, there was no long-term benefit except for 50 years later, I got an intro to a sermon. <laughs> now, here's my concern. As many folks feel the same way that I do about wrestling in high school, about opening the biblical text and looking for the truth there. It's hard work. It's awkward. It's at times unpleasant. And at the end of the day, we try it, we've done it, and there's just not that many benefits that keep us wanting to do it. We're going to do some real wrestling today. Some real, real wrestling today. And my hope is that you'll stay involved. Because we're wrestling with this notion that it is not easy. That God loved and chose those of us who believe before there was anything. Now here's the text. Moved through the introduction last week, remembering Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to people who have already chosen to treasure Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, Paul wants us to more fully experience the love of God that motivated him to give those of us who treasure Christ every, every, every stinking spiritual blessing. But it requires effort. It requires work. It requires wrestling with ideas that are just not always easy to grasp. But here's my promise. From the text and from my experience, for those willing to wrestle with more fully understanding the manifold love of God, There's inconceivable delight, assurance, and joy. Father, we're trying to tackle something today that you inspired Paul to tell those believers around Ephesus and us. I pray as always that you would keep me true to the intent of the ideas that you're trying to communicate. Father, this is hard. This is not easy. I pray you'd help us to relax, that whatever our experience with these these ideas have been, I pray that you would give all of us an open mind and an open heart. Direct us. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. We're convinced it's for your glory that we might appreciate your love even more fully, and that's for our joy. No greater benefit ah, than experiencing your love more than we have already. So I pray that you would do that. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna jump right out of the gate. God in this book, in the Bible, particularly in the passage we're looking at today, he's trying to give us a big hug. But to receive that hug, we got to wrestle a little bit. But he's just trying to put his arms around us and help us experience his love more fully. That's his hope. And it begins with this idea that's just difficult to accept, to process. God chose to bless us, to choose us before we or anything else existed. We're starting verse 3 through verse 14. We're going to make three sermons out of it. It's one sentence in Greek. One. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening as Paul now starts this letter is he's thinking about the truths of who Jesus is, who God is, that have been revealed especially to him, and he is just overcome with emotion, and he can't stop writing. Because he's going, this is so good. This God, oh man, is he to be honored, is he to be celebrated, is he to be blessed. One of the implications being, if we want to have that same experience of just adoring God, it would be helpful to understand what Paul understands. But it's not that easy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is key. Who has blessed us in Christ. We go through these 14 verses. Jesus is mentioned, I think, about 16 times. I didn't count it up. I think in him about 13, 12. If those numbers are off, go talk to one of the associate staff and complain to them. As we go through this, it's in Christ. Don't miss this. Paul is talking to people who have already chosen to treasure Christ. He's trying to help them understand more fully, the love of God. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every material blessing we have in this world is ultimately from God. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that which is supposed to be the foundation and the driving force of those of us who treasure Christ, the spiritual blessings. How many has he given us? Somebody tell me what Paul says. Has, past tense for those of us who love Christ. He's already given them to us. He's writing this to help us experience them a little more fully. Even as he chose us in him, here's the tough part, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in case you didn't get it with the chose, I'll use a different verb that communicates the same idea. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, those of you online, I'm going to come right back to the picture. Some of you online are going, yeah, don't hurry. It's okay. Just listen to your voice. And I know some of you are going to think about just going to audio. But we're going to go back to a a fence that uh, I used years ago. And for me, that's what this represents up here. This side of the fence is all we learn about God and all we can understand about God as finite human beings. So we work through, read the scriptures, and we get this beautiful picture of God and his love. And then we get to the fence. And the fence is a byproduct of this. We're finite, he's not. So we can understand a ton about Jesus, about God. There is all we need to know to have a thriving, vibrant relationship with God. But then there's this side, quite frankly, that's incomprehensible. I think it starts in the Bible with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what he's saying. Out of nothing, God created everything that is. Are you kidding me? How does that work? How do you create stuff out of nothing? 
God's transcendent and yet simultaneously, simultaneously imminent. He's outside of time, outside of space, and yet simultaneously, simultaneously doesn't even work. He's inside. How do you say you're outside of time and inside of time simultaneously? You can't use that word. How's that? How can you do? I don't know. The Trinity. One God, three persons. How's that work? The incarnation. He's completely God and completely man. How's that work? Now, here's what I'm going to suggest to you today. The idea that God shows of us, those of us who love him, before the foundation of the world, before there was anything, intellectually is no more difficult to accept than any of the things I've mentioned, the incarnation and the Trinity. That we're responsible to choose, and yet he chose us. How's that work? Here's the difference with this one. It feels unfair to us. And that complicates matters. Now, I'm going to argue for a position that I didn't really hold till I'd been a pastor for two or three years. The position I'm promoting today, if you'd have known me in seminary, and probably huh, maybe the first year of pastoring, I fought against this view. Now, do you guys understand I can somewhat be passionate about my convictions? <laughs> I passionately argued and debated for a view contrary to the view that I'm going to promote to you guys today. And I'm going to say it as humbly as I can. I gave the best arguments that I think there are for it. I'd studied it, I worked through it. I gave the best arguments that anybody, as good as any I've ever heard. But what led me to embracing this truth? Three key things. First is just the preponderance of biblical evidence. In my journey of coming to faith, I became convinced that God wrote the Bible. Now, please hear me say, I was a Christian and I was a passionate evangelist before I accepted what we're talking about today. I was already a believer. You don't have to hold this doctrine to be a believer. But if you haven't figured it out yet, I think you are going to experience less of the fullness of God's love. Now, don't miss this. The Bible is mostly about human responsibility. Our hearing this, our accepting it, our treasuring Christ, being responsible for that, our taking this good news to others. The vast majority of biblical texts are promoting that idea. Did everybody hear that? But if you look at the Bible, there are too many texts they're not the primary text that promote this idea that God was involved in our salvation, choosing us before there was a cosmos. Second thing, the recognition of my arrogance. Okay, so it's a biblical idea. I still don't accept it. 
And I go, well, why aren't I accepting it? Because it feels unfair to me. And that's where I go to the fence and I finally realized, because it feels unfair to me, I'm saying it cannot be true. And yet there's lots of truths about God that are to me really beyond my understanding. I'm here to confess to you, I still didn't accept it. Enough scriptures that promote it, my arrogance is keeping me from accepting it. This is a confession. I still didn't accept it. And it led me to this, though. I had to ask, why would God reveal this? It's not essential for salvation. People have fought over this. People who have debated this, they've had fights where some people ended up being killed over this issue. Why would God reveal it? And it wasn't until I went there that I said, okay, God, I'm in. It's to help those who have chosen Christ get a view on the other side of the fence that we wouldn't have without Paul. To help us more fully experience the love of God. So my conviction is, before in the beginning God created in the heavens and the earth, in God's mind, he loved and chose me. Now, when I first accepted this truth, there was not an immediate rush of emotions and feeling that love. I accepted it. I kept thinking about it. I kept wrestling with it. And over time, guess what happened? I was a passionate disciple of Christ, promoter of the gospel before I believed this. Because Jesus showed me his love. I feel exponentially more loved today than I did when I came to treasure him and give my life to him wholeheartedly. God chose to radically transform us. This stuff's going to be familiar. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You've heard me share this number of times. We're not just not guilty. Now, when did this process get started? Before the foundation of the world. 
That's how much he loves me. That's how much he loves you. To not just be guilty before him. This is the introduction, verses 3 through 14. We're going to develop it. You get to chapter 2. And he's still developing these themes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Look at this description of who we were before Christ. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Satan, among whom uh, uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, and Satan, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, don't miss this, children of wrath. When did God start this process? Oh, man. Before there was a cosmos, before there was time, God chose to have an astounding relationship with us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you feel Paul as you read this over and over again? Can you feel Paul getting excited? Here's my hope as we read this, as we walk through this, there's just a little more excitement in your head and in your heart. Paul's about ready to jump out of himself. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world in in that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself. From children of wrath to God's children. As sons through Jesus Christ. Everything happens through Christ. Romans says it this way. Paul's saying the same thing. For all who led by the Spirit of God are believers, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Aramaic, literally, Daddy. The God who ought to damn us. When does Paul say this process started for those of us who came to treasure him? Does he love us? Now, I have, when I came to treasure Christ, I don't have a single day. I got a two-year window in when I think that happened. That's the most significant thing in my life. Five next best days of my life. You with me now? Married my wife. Far and away. Far and away. After treasuring Christ, marrying my wife was the best thinking decision I've made. Far and away. Then the other four all tie. And you might guess what they are. Birth of my oldest, Kirsten. Birth of my second, Casey. And birth of my third, Carson. I'm going to tell you how I get to that fifth one in the total list, the fourth one there. Julie and I are having dinner with Brad and Anita Barshaw. He was the district superintendent up in Seattle when we were out there in the Northwest. And we became good buddies. Anita was a nurse. And one of their niches in life, live in R3, was uh, doing foster care for medically fragile infants. So we went over for dinner, and they had a little kid over there, and, and we're sitting there, and we're getting to know one another, and then Anita had to go get the baby. And uh, um, she said, Julie, you want to go with me? Julie said, sure. Her nickname was Rainy. Her birth name was uh, Rihanna. And Julie said, sure. I still remember Julie and Anita walking down the stairs. Now, at this time, Rainey weighed four pounds. She'd been born at just over two. 
And my wife had this goofiest look on her face. I can't explain it. Now, there was a big heart monitor. There was an oxygen machine. Oxygen machine. It took two people to get this four-pound baby downstairs. I remember holding this kid. We had dinner. We leave finally. We got a, a 40-minute drive home. We walk out the front door, shut the door, and Julie looks at me and goes, did you feel anything when you held Rainy? My response was, not you too. We weren't looking. But we held this kid independently and yet simultaneously in the evening. We both felt about this kid like we did about our older three kids. Took over two years. To get it. We decided on a 40-minute drive home, we're going to try and adopt this kid. Seriously. I made the first call when the office opened at 8 o'clock the next morning. I have surgery before she's finally going to be adopted, which is that fifth thing, right? Those four that tie, the birth of my oldest three kids. And then I missed it. I missed it. I had surgery, and I felt lousy. Julie's mom on the left, Casey, Kirsten, Carson, my wife, Caden, Rihanna, Chapman, being held, and then the judge. And I missed this. I got three adopted grandkids. I'm holding Dari, Julie's got Hudson, and Caden's got uh, uh, Mari. I wasn't going to miss this. I missed it with my kid. I wasn't going to miss this. Now, you don't have to have adopted a kid to understand this, but I'm going to tell you, when God talks about adopting us, you know why we adopted that kid? Just loved her. We had no other motive. My kids, my grandkids, when that judge says these kids have every right and all the inheritance that becomes with being a child. One of the most moving events in my life. You don't have to adopt somebody to understand this, but I'm going to tell you, I think it helps me. I've had people, happens less frequently now, my kids are around, but they ask me, and I know what they mean, they don't mean any offense, but all, I've been asked over the last 25 years, lots of times, how many real kids do you have? My answer is always the same. <clears throat> Four. It's about God's love. We chose this kid. So, some of you have noticed a tattoo on my arm, R-I-L-Y-A, remember I love you always. First started writing it to my wife when we got serious, finished all my notes, finished, still finished all my texts, R-I-L-Y-A. My kids, it's what they get. Everything, I, the last thing I said to my kids when they were growing up, last thing, I kiss them, remember I love you always, forever and ever, no matter what. Just had a birthday. 
My kids put together one of those picture books and all that stuff. They had all nine of my grandchildren answer seven questions. Now, the oldest eight, the youngest is two. She didn't answer any. I got some nice scribbles that I will treasure. The other eight, one of the questions is, what does grandpa say to you? Every one of them wrote this. I love you. This text is God saying to us, those of us who've chosen to treasure Christ, remember, I love you always. Now, when God says always, it began before we did. My beginning for my kids and for my grandkids, that love started once I knew their mothers were pregnant. If you're here today, you haven't yet chosen to follow Christ. This is not an idea. I would have begun my conversations with you talking about this. But my conviction is if you're here today and you're thinking about treasuring Christ, what Paul's revealing, that process is now going on in your life. And God's working to draw you to himself. And God chose us according to his own pleasure and will. Let's pick it up at the end of verse 4 there. In love. In love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, in terms of God choosing us, all kinds of places that folks go with this text. Some folks do what I did early in my Christian life. Discard it. Some, because it feels unfair, like to go to, in my estimation, well, not what the Scripture says. God shows us because he knew what we would choose. Now, if you go into all the biblical texts, not what they say. We're going to get to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and God's going to make sure we understand this. None of us have any reason to boast. According to the purpose of his will, what were the factors that caused him to make those decisions? His decision. <laughs> and God shows us that he might ultimately be glorified. It's for our benefit, absolutely and unmistakably, but ultimately that he might be glorified. End of verse 4 again, right in the beginning of verse 5. But in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because this is due to him and his love for us. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now when you guys hear me pray, almost every prayer that I offer ends this way. For your glory and our joy. Because he's put them together. They are inseparable. He saves us because he loves us. He wants us to be happy in him because he loves us. Do we get benefit? Every stinking spiritual blessing there is, is already ours if we treasure Christ. Everything. Who gets the glory for that? And God just wants us to understand wherever we are in that journey a little more fully the magnitude of his love. So when I wrestled back in high school, other than again having a sermon illustration, I don't remember. This occurred to me this week. I haven't thought about this in 50 years. I got no benefit out of wrestling that guy. I never, ever wrestled somebody again. It was not an experience I found pleasurable. Now, wrestling with this idea and this truth about God, it's not easy, often awkward, often takes a lot of effort, hard work, and there's this mental consternation, and it may feel sometimes like our head's exploding. I'm going to repeat it. I was a passionate follower of Christ, a real Christian, before I ever accepted and embraced this truth. Y'all hear me? But I made just a partial list of some of the benefits that I've experienced since I embraced the truth of how much God loves me, increasing humility. I don't care who you are. I've had lots of discussions with people who insist, though they won't accept this, they don't consider them, themselves any smarter than the people that reject it. I'll just tell you, that doesn't make sense to me. If we figured it out with God being less involved, then we are smarter. You know, the Chapman motto I grew up with is, uh, not often right, but never in doubt. You know, I'm a guy that develops my convictions. I have strong convictions about this. I can speak pretty boldly. But there's no arrogance in my salvation. Have I worked to understand this? Yes. Did I choose Christ 40 roughly years ago? Yes. Do I choose Jesus every stinking day? And is it a real choice? Yes. The one I'm making on my own. I'm making it because of his extraordinary love. Growing gratefulness. Please understand, I was grateful when I came to faith in Christ. 
I was as excited about Jesus and as grateful as I thought I could be some 40 years ago. I'm way more grateful today as I have embraced this truth than I was back then. I had no idea how much more gratefulness was still possible. A deepened experience of his grace, his unmerited favor. Why did he choose me? If I'm him, I'm not sure I'd pick me. But he did. An enlarging assurance of salvation. Through my life as I've wondered from time to time, do I really have genuine faith? I go back and say, I couldn't say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit be working in my life. And if he's working in my life now, it's because he started it before the foundation of the world. Yes. Lots of growth, lots of immaturity. Again, if my wife were here, I told you. She's got 17 pages, single space. Last couple of weeks have not been that good. It's up to 19 pages. But I treasure Jesus. The peace in this world that is just a disaster in so many ways. So many good things, but so much broken. If I belonged to God in his mind, again, once I came to faith and treasured him, that's when I got justified, that's when the blood of Christ got applied. But if in his mind I belonged to him since the foundation of the world, What's ever going on out there, he's got it. I'm going to be involved, salt and light in this world, but he's got it. An escalating passion and freedom in evangelism. Some folks will distort this, well, then why do we even evangelize? Because the majority of the biblical text is about our responsibility and the privilege. I was a passionate evangelist when I came to faith. 40 years ago. But I'm going to tell you, as I'm sharing the gospel with people and they did not accept it, I went to this place. What did I do wrong? This is on me. Man, I'm just messing up. I'm not getting this. For those who want to argue, if you accept this, you're going to not be that excited about evangelism. You're not getting the biblical tension over here. Freedom and confidence? Who has God chosen before the foundation of the world? I have no idea. But he's chosen us to bring the gospel to them. And they were chosen before the foundation of the world. There's people out there in whose hearts he's working and he's chosen. And we get to help them come to faith. Why would we be nervous? Why would we be tense? Some of us have to get the Holy Spirit badge off of ourselves. Relax. And have fun. I have no idea who he's chosen. None. Doesn't matter to me. Matthew 13, I'm just out scattering seed. I expect some to go in the path. I expect some to go in the rockies, some to go in the, weed, in the weeds. And I expect some to hit those in whom God is. Wow, he's got other sheep, John 10. We get to bring the most passionate evangelists go through the missions list. We're guys that believed in the sovereignty of God in this process. It's not on me. 
I've told you, second greatest joy in the world is doing what I'm doing right now. First is hanging with somebody. Do I know whether they're chosen or not? I may never know in this world. If they choose Christ, yeah. Was I involved? Yeah. Was it me that saved them? Man, he gave me this tremendous privilege of being involved in it. An intensifying security and identity in being adopted child of God. The more I've embraced this truth, the more fully I experience this love. And you'll notice these are all in participial forms. I'm still growing here. You understand that? I'm hoping in the next few months to experience his love even more fully than I have today. Less than what I do professionally, less than what my kids do, whatever. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And he loves me more than I love my wife and my kids and my grandkids. And he's loved me way longer than I have loved them. I've told you all of this is years ago. My most exhilarating, fulfilling, and joyful worship occurs at the fence. Now, I worship God through all the stuff that I can get a pretty clear understanding of, but when I get to that fence, how do you create stuff out of nothing? How can you be 100% God and 100% human being? How can God choose those of us who believe and still responsibility is fair? I don't know. But this God is amazing. So here's what I'm going to encourage. Oh, one more. If you think that I still don't have attention considering this, You'd be mistaken. But there's still tension in my head when I ponder the Trinity. That hasn't gone away. I used to resist the fence. I used to run from the fence. Now I run to it. So I'm going to say this, though. I said it earlier, but I want to be clear. we got to have a solid understanding of what's on this side of the fence to know what's on the other side. Once in a while, people say to me, well, I guess that's just an inevitable tension. And I go... No, I actually think that idea is on this side of the fence. We just need to think through it a little more. Knowing where the fence is is from knowing Scripture more thoroughly and understanding who God is. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Read Ephesians 1, at least through those first 14 verses every day. Read it. Secondly, wrestle. Wherever you're at on this issue, Wrestle. Is it going to be challenging? I think yes. Is it going to require effort? Yes. But trust there's benefit. Pay attention to your emotions. How am I feeling about this? And where are those feelings coming from? Always pay attention in your emotions. I grew up with the idea your emotions don't matter. They do. Now, my deep conviction is I try not to let my emotions guide me. I want my thinking to guide me. 
But my emotions are essential. I live from my emotions. I live to be happy. Now there's happiness in God. Ah, they go together. It's like this guy who put this plan together was really wicked smart. Pay attention to our emotions. Work through them. What is it telling me about my understanding of the text? Where is it telling me about my faith? What is it telling me about anything? And then ask God to give you a greater experience of his love. I think this truth is key. But even if you don't accept this truth, this is what life is about. He loves us with an infinite love. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for giving us the truth of who Jesus is. Thanks for revealing to Paul stuff we wouldn't have any notion about except for your inspiring him to understand it. Oh, for all of us here, Father, I pray wherever we are in that journey with you, you'd help us to experience more of your love, that you'd help us to find great delight and assurance and joy in wrestling oftentimes with who you are. Father, it's not always easy, but be gracious, be kind. Help us to feel your loving embrace, your warm arms wrapping around us. Help us to hear you say to us, I love you.